This is Death by DVD. I am your host, Alexander Nash, and with me as always is my co-host and Cage Monkey Man Fuck Beast, Hank. It's all true. It, it, all of it? All of it. It's all true. Okay. <laughs> I, have, I have nothing to, to go against that with. It's all true. I am, in fact, a escaped Nazi experiment, and I'm living well today somewhat in modern society. As you learned last week, I learned how to read. <laughs> All true. Is every rumor ever spoken of you true? Uh, not entirely. Many of the rumors about the other Hanks are somewhat true. It's believed the first one just disappeared into the woods and may or may not be the North American Eastern Bigfoot. A Bigfoot reference? It's not so much a reference as a legend. Uh, lore, uh, the American Indians say that he walks between two worlds, the Bigfoot, or Hank, the original Hank. Welcome to Death by DVD, where none of this fucking matters. We have put <laughs> this off for uh, a while, and and just uh, other ideas have come up, better ideas have come up, but we are finally returning to the Video Nasties. Insert the Video Nasty song. Um, so yeah, part two of 72 episodes of the Video Nasties, where we discuss, I'm going to say it one more time, the Video Nasties. But first, just to pat out the show, as we always do, recently seen, Hank. So last week, I, I said while we were discussing The Color Out of Space that I thought Dust Devil was a 4.5. And it's been haunting my dreams and bothering me. And many, many sleepless nights later, I reevaluated it. I'm just stupid and wrong. And it happens. It's happened many a time. It's a five out of five. And just to, to quickly say why, the, the alone, just the development of the lead female character from the beginning of the movie to the end and her transition is so artfully and beautifully done. It, it's operatic. And that is fantastic. And my last note, uh, just the end of the movie and the transition of how timeless things are. And when you evaluate Richard Stanley as a director and how difficult he might be, quote unquote, and you watch Dust Devil, it truly shows you. Uh, even what I said again last week, why he deserves, just give that motherfucker more money and let him make movies. It's fantastic. And then I watched uh, Targets by Peter Bogdanovich. It was good. It's about mass shootings, and um, it's pretty sad. Five. It's a Boris Karloff film, is it not? Yeah, I give it five stars. It is. It's a final Boris Karloff film. Um, I Yeah, I'll, we'll actually evaluate that. It is about a retiring horror star played by Boris Karloff, um, who is refusing to do his last picture, written by Peter Bogdanovich, who gets greatly insulted by it. And the two of them end up clashing and uh, sort of unquitting his retirement into a final piece where he goes to a drive-in show to introduce his most recent film, uh, where this film goes into overdrive, that a dual story happens with a man that finally snaps, a, a proto-Travis Bickle sort of character who just goes fucking crazy, uh, has a, a massive amount of firearms, DC sniper style, wastes some people on a highway, and ends up at the movie theater where the movie has a triumphant and somewhat bold ending. Pretty fantastical from, you know, the, the last picture show, Peter Bogdanovich. Also, I think more people would recognize him as Dr. Melfi's psychiatrist in The Sopranos, which is disappointing that that's where he has sunken, I guess, into American iconoclastism, if that's how you say it. But it was Iconicalism? good. Yeah, that word. That and 
I have a very loose grasp of the English language, but I deeply enjoyed it, and it was a very tragic, you know, early foray into what unfortunately has become pretty much uh, an everyday occurrence in American history or American life, shootings, mass shootings, and whatnot. Well, I will not discuss anything about targets because it's been probably 25, 30 years since I've seen it. But I'd never seen it. And we will probably go more in-depth into Dust Devil again for like the fourth time on the show here in the future. So uh, I'll just I just move wanted on to, to correct myself because I, I just was very unhappy having that permanent record of me on this show saying, oh, Dust Devil's a 4.5. That was stupid of me, and I apologize to everyone and you, and most importantly, Richard Stanley. I will go into what I saw this week, and I watched a movie called The Girl on the Third Floor, which um, is a horror movie that came out last year, and it stars... Phil Brooks, better known as CM Punk in his first real acting role. Um, hmm. Did you what hear what – I sent you the tweet, but did you hear what um, Bruce Campbell had to say, that maybe he'd be great playing a character named Nash? I would support that. I would totally be convinced it's you because of your podcast, you know, this, our fans. Yes, I'm – I'm sure he would do a good job playing me. We're about the same age. Um, I think the Pepsi got, tattoo on CM thing. Punk's arm actually is for Death by DVD. It's just gotten really blurry over time, you know. That's that or a Pepsi logo, either oh. one. Um, but uh, I'll just like I don't want to make the whole thing about him as an actor. Like I would give him six out of ten as in, in acting. He's okay in the film. Um, he does have a bit of a problem of just being overly intense and i think that just might be his personality as a just as a human being he it's just all that needs fucking a little pepsi. bit more a little bit uh, more comfortable in acting as opposed to just kind of like really glaring at people and, and it's from years of being a wrestler and cutting promos and all that i can understand but i give him like a, a, a six out of ten although they probably should have rewritten the script a little bit because he's supposed to be playing a disgraced ex-lawyer so I don't know when he got like all the tattoos on his hands and his neck as a lawyer. Maybe it was this after he was disgraced. Awful! Uh, this sounds like such a bad movie. You're not selling it's, this. It's not bad. I would not call it a bad film. But oh, man. as a film, you're waiting for stuff to happen because you kind of figure out what the movie is going to be about. Like, okay, what's because the internal story of what's going on in this base, what's a haunted house movie, is not that interesting. You kind of figure it out, but it just has no real. Con- Completion to that. It's almost like someone remaking Paranormal Activity um, to the extent of, yes, you can go around and shoot and do like a found footage thing about ghosts in the house and all that. But really, what's the point if you're an artist? What's the point of just re- like doing something like that? And that's kind of how I feel about this film. It just feels like every other modern kind of haunted house type picture and it just doesn't really go in the anywhere. The ending is not very satisfactory. It is shot well. It does have some moments within it, but overall, it's just it seems like a big waste of time because it's just there's really nothing there. It's it's basically like watching an Annabelle movie or any of the rest of those things because, like I don't know, they just throw in a lot of weird like totems of the ghosts that turn out to be nothing. They turn out to just be writing devices that the that they put in the script. It's like, I don't know, this girl was into marbles. But what the hell does that happen? It's, it's just kind of that. It's just a little bit sloppy overall, but it's 
directed well, it's shot well, and most of the acting is fairly decent. I just didn't find anything in the story that engaging. I would it's probably a two and a half, maybe, maybe a three. I seriously doubt it. It's a three, but you know, it's it's just pretty fucking average. It sounds like something I'll see in like six months and go, ah, that's that movie he was talking about. Um, it's on Netflix currently, and it is just so kind of bland. Yeah, you had brought this up when we briefly talked. It might have been off the air, to be honest, but we had uh, when we were discussing the Soska's David Cronenberg remake or reimagining or whatever the fuck you want to call it, that CM Punk's performance left you know a lot more to be asked. And I didn't, I, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm not super experienced with his career as a wrestler, so watching him on film is more or less the first time I'm really, like, I'm aware of who he is, I know what he does, I've seen commercials, I've seen promos, I've seen clips, but I've, I've not followed his wrestling career, I'm not a, you know, a avid wrestling fan, so to me it's more like just a very over-the-top, you know, like, he'd be great in a David Lynch movie, fucking, you know, super smiley, very energetic kind of overacting, so I guess it really makes sense that you know, with his past and what he's professionally done, that those two things are meeting in the middle and making a very, you know, hyper, hyper kinetic character actor performance. But, it, you know, trying to be serious, it doesn't sound like a complete piece of shit. It does leave some intrigue to see more of CM Punk as an actor, because I guess that's what he's really moving into now. So we're going to be seeing more of him, I think, maybe. I don't know. I can't read. I don't know the news. I will say this, though. After you did send me that, um, that tweet or whatever, I like was watching him in the movie and it was like, he kind of actually does favor Bruce Campbell in the face a little bit. And it's a little bit of the Bruce Campbell performance. Cause he's just a little bit, I don't When I say intense and he needs to relax as an actor, you need to look more comfortable in your role. And he does not look comfortable. He looks like he, I can see, what I know it's mean. part of the character that he's supposed to be somewhat like kind of on edge, but he's just the entire time. There's no kind of transition. He's always kind of very, intense and kind of dickish just by the way he looks at you so so it's just it's a little too much intensity for what i think is being asked in the film Uh, i guess from what i've seen in in the more underground parts of of horror and that's where i i read or research stuff most people didn't like the remake of the evil dead because i guess it was a remake but i liked kind of being proved that you didn't need ash as a character and i didn't care that it was a gender flip i liked who the characters were and how our final girl came to be and i thought it was a pretty polished overall uh complimentary addition to the evil dead series if anything you know continuing the mythos of what sam raimi did with the very first movie and i mean yeah it wasn't all practical effects but and it wasn't entirely as horrifying or claustrophobic but regardless, it wasn't an awful product, and that's, I mean, if you're going to redo the Evil Dead and the new thing is replacing Ash, that's fine, but I liked being proved that you didn't need, um, you know, Ash as a focal point, that you could tell the story of the Necronomicon or the demons or whatever without it, and it's, it's you know, I'm probably wrong. It'll be an Ash thing. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm always wrong. All right, so you ready to get into video nasties? Oh, God, I, we had a, a nice discussion, and now we're going to talk about stuff, Nazis and stuff. Not even, like, fun Nazis. This isn't, like, a, a good Nazi discussion, because, well, there's a few, I don't think any on the video nasties list, uh, acceptable, like, Nazi exploitation movies. And then there are Nazi sexploitation movies, and then there's one that was called, like, Narcissista Sado something or another. Have you heard that term? Uh, something along those lines. What are you 
saying. Or uh, Sadoka Natsika, something like that. I don't know. Are you talking about sadomasochistic like pornography? It's like it's like a, a mixture of the word sadomasochism and Nazi, uh, and it was a term I heard that was derived as. Uh, an explanation of the difference between Nazi exploitation, Nazi sexploitation, Nazi art exploitation, and even something as simple of uh, Hogan's Heroes, which kind of is fucking Nazi exploitation to an extent. And let's be honest, anything making light of World War II in any uh, facility is kind of exploitation uh, to an extent. But where we're getting is is probably the bottom of the barrel of that format of <laughs> um, exploitation. And I laugh just because it's, it's, we're going to get, it's goofy. I don't know. It's a goofy movie. It's a goofy foul, foul movie. And then we have another film that stuff happens in. Sort of. All right, so let's get into the next movie on the video, Nasty's List, Section 1. With Fred Friedel 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 Friedel's 1974 film Axe. All right, so Axe from 1974 being on the video nasties list. We'll get into all the information. I'll read my little sections out of my video nasties book right here. But um, Axe is a movie that I don't know if it belongs on the video nasties list. I believe it's on there for. A few different reasons, but we will fully get into those. I was I was looking forward into getting into this because I was really questioning what the scenes might have been, and there are a few that come to mind. But uh, you know, you you got me on the show when we did. I drink your blood of what was the really shocking moment of the movie, and I was completely wrong. So on me. Well, I mean, like, because um, Axe goes by several different titles. It was released at several different times. It was released as California Axe Massacre. Axe, as well as Lisa Lisa, or as Stephen Thrower called Liza Liza. Lisa Lisa is my favorite. I, I don't even know if Lisa Lisa is a very great title either. No, it's not. It's completely um, nonsensical, but California Axe Murders doesn't make sense because it's obviously not California. Axe, no, it's like South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Was it South or North? It was one of the Carolinas. But um, Axe, just, I mean, there is an Axe in the movie, so yeah, I guess it makes sense. But it's kind of like Driller Killer. Yeah, he kills somebody with a drill, but it should have been like the white buffalo or something like that you know there was there was some other ideas lisa lisa would have made me look at the the box you know i'm lo- i'm looking back to what i would have picked up and it sounds so much like a porn film or a, maybe uh, that's the problem just Why a like... single x film to me with the yeah a one x it doesn't it doesn't sound like a like a suspense thriller or horror film at all and i don't know if it's any of those things either um it has a very dreamlike nature to it it's like um, a fraudulent last house on the left to a certain extent yeah it's about some criminals who are trying to collect on a debt they end up killing the guy and they go on the lamb and end up at lisa's house and shit happens at lisa's house lisa is just some Briefly. random chick when they're trying to lay low in her place for a while um, so the plot is almost minuscule as well as the running time because it is just over an hour. It is not much longer than that. So it, it is a short sit, but at the same time, it is a very long set for that hour for me personally. And I brought up Stephen Thrower earlier. He's a huge fan of this film. It's one of his favorite video nasties. The author, Stephen Thrower. I, I, I referenced him several times on these video nasty shows. I should probably bring up who he actually is. He's a film critic. He was in the band Coil in the 1980s. 
and he's written several books on Jess Franco, uh, American Horror Films, Video Nasties. He's much an of the knowledge I will poorly regurgitate and get wrong tonight also comes from Stephen Thrower uh, on on the the second movie we're going to discuss, as well as this one and and Video Nasties in general. I mean, discussing that guy deserves an entire show. I mean, he's up there like Kim Newman, just one of the big brains with knowledge of every fucking thing. Well, I mean, he, in his book, Nightmare USA, which uh, if you have never purchased that book or read it before, you need to buy it. It's a big, thick coffee table book. It's very interesting of like film from the I, from a specific period. I believe it's like um, 1971. It might even go to the 60s to like the early 80s. And it's about American regional filmmaking. Um, so he Which goes into interviews. Extent, he, I mean, I, I've heard acts many times referred to as the greatest American regional film. So, I mean, to an extent, this is kind of, I, I would say, maybe the king of regional drive-in movies. I mean, I, I hear that term. I, I don't know, because I, I personally it. wouldn't say that, because I've just never been a fan of this film. And I don't think it's traveled that far. I mean, it's more infamous for being on the video nasties list than anything. And Stephen Thrower loves this film. I mean, in the book, I don't he think interviews... if this movie hadn't been a video nasty, it would have really been seen whatsoever. I mean, it, it doesn't it's not a fault that it doesn't deliver anything. It does. It delivers everything that you would want, but with an unnecessary amount of humor that I don't know if it was intentional or not. But regardless, uh, from an unexperienced director who inserted himself into the movie and is also possibly bob ross it just comes out of this very bizarre like you said dreamlike uh in missing a second and third part dream kind of thing it's just very incomplete and almost broken well i mean it was his i believe it was his first film it might have been his second film and he, no, he did not all have he knew is he wanted to be fucking orson wells and make a movie before he was 25 years old and so he set out uh to to do his darndest with absolutely no knowledge of what he was doing and this is what happened and you know hey what's impressive is you went out to do you know something like orson wells and you successfully did manage to get your movie on one of the most notorious banned list of movies uh, ever probably you know forever that douchebags will still be talking about on podcasts for years to come and when um he made a movie called i think kidnap coeds as well yes. he's only made very few films over the years you can get them both and on uh, one disc from severin Yes, uh, it's available in a special edition Blu-ray that they've put out. And this film, it gets a lot of that dreamlike nature correct. I'd say the, the, the scene in the um, convenience store, or the grocery store, is a really good scene. It's probably the best scene in the film because it actually shows the uh, maniacal nature of these characters, or at least two of the characters. I mean, it shows some real pathos this in it. fruit's rotten. When we get to the um, the Lisa actual storyline, when they get to the house is when everything is supposed to happen. And she's basically she's almost a mute. She lives there with her grandfather, who's also a mute, who I'm not so sure is her grandfather. I don't think he actually is. I think he's some dude who came along who she is terrified into being this kind of invalid in her home. But that's that's a personal thing on my end. It might um, also be John Houston. Uh, he very much looks like John Houston. And like we focus on this very like heavily focus on her killing a chicken, which I, I, I'm assuming is to show kind of her uh, almost indifferent nature to killing. But we just keep going back to this this chicken kill, which is probably one of the reasons it does have a uh, 
a banned status or not banned, but a video nasty status in England is because of animal cruelty, as well as there is some violence towards women, a very, and this is hard to say, I mean, but it's a somewhat tasteful rape scene. It's not overly, I mean, it's not even it's not like a full rape. It's an attempted rape scene, but it's not done in a very exploitive nature. I mean, it's there, but it's not just like overly long or violent. It's just kind of, it's hinting at the rape. And there is a straight razor murder in the film. And that in most England baffling. was a big deal back then. It's a backward straight razor throat slit. I've never seen anyone's throat slit from the back before. And that, I think, is one of the most remarkable things about the movie that really makes you go, what the fuck? And going back to the gas station scene, that's like John Waters almost. It's just, it's a weird, baffling amount of humor touching upon something I said earlier that I don't know if, if that was intentional or not, but it's very reminiscent I don't think of, it was. Yeah, I don't think it was supposed to be uh, quite as funny as it was, and I don't mean it funny haha. It's it's very dark and it's very morbid, but it has this very Krug and company, you know, attempt uh, at something like Last House on the Left uh, with its pathos, I guess, and it's just bizarre. And then you, you, you know, kind of feel it's going to keep going in this direction and still continue in its bizarrety, and it just, like, goes off the diving board into still water. You know, it just just completely... I mean, things It's happen. a very quiet film. I mean, um, even a backward The score is very quiet. It's, um, it's just non... It, it, it becomes non, non-impressive, I guess. Well, I mean, because once you get to the farmhouse and we kind of calm all this running from the law stuff down, which is a good portion of the movie, it does become very dreamlike. It does become almost slow motion at times because it's a lot of walking. It's a lot of characters being separated. Um, a lot of people glaring at Lisa and her just kind of silently walking through the house with a, Bob a Ross certain look on her face. Just appears um, and fucking does stuff. I mean, and that's actually director director. Directric Friedrich Friedrich Drell. I can't say his Friedrich, name. Word director. Yeah, that guy. All all one word. Um. Yes, he's the Afro man in the film. Who's, funnily enough, the only person you consider to be somewhat of a protagonist in the film. Who's well, not. I, I find his character completely bizarre because the movie introduces everyone with a, a very violent and over the top beating to death sequence, and then you know he's. Uh, upset by it all, I guess. Well, why the fuck's he with them? I mean, they didn't just pick him up on the goddamn street. I mean, there's no real introduction for the character, but yet you're some somehow supposed to be sympathetic to the plight of what's happening to him, and overall it just... None of that pays off. I mean, at least with Toad, you kind of feel bad when he ODs, referencing Last House on the Left. Uh, so there's you know something going on with, with the motivation of those characters. With this, it just seems so much... It's not. It's like a very bad version of Clue, almost. But you know who who did it? It's Kathy, or not Kathy? I was Lisa. thinking about Kathy's Curse, which might have been uh, a, a recent Death by DVD daily. But I mean, like when we finally get to the the more crazy scenes, God the damn more it. more violent scenes in the film. I don't even know how you can construe them as being overly violent or overly like realistic. I fucking love because... when she's dismembering quote unquote the body in the bathtub, and it just shows her with this axe, and then they just you know are cutting back and forth to her aimlessly hitting really nothing with these wet squelching sounds, and it's there's nothing going on in the scene but this 
back and forth and then quick cuts to, you know, her killing the chicken and, and just other things that have happened in the movies. And there's no real violence with it. Even the, the throat slit. You can't slit somebody's throat from behind. I'm not going to get off that one. It just doesn't happen that way. But, I mean, and none of it is particularly realistic. They use the 3M blood, so it's all melted crayon color. Um, they don't splash it around too much and the character interactions at a certain point just aren't that entertaining they're not interesting they're just kind of people either trying to get with lisa or trying to get lisa out of the house and it just there's no real story to advance until we get to the end where there's a scene of possible kind of cannibalism uh, sort of mentioned um I'm it's not really it's not just tomato soup yeah i mean it, it's never really specifically told to you that's what's going on but i mean it's it's hinted at and then with the ultimate ending of the dude running out of the house and just getting gunned down by the police and the police is going to continue her her crazy fucking um ways in this house locked up with this old man and it really could use some story something to happen in it because they were just working with something incredibly limited because most of the uh the uh mafioso type stuff at the beginning is, is actually pretty interesting and entertaining in character it's, development. It's like a the false fact... promise because you kind of assume it's going to go down that road and venture somewhere into into deeper territory with these characters getting into some wacky quagmire and you know raping their way through the countryside and that's really the attitude I took toward it and you get through that first 15 minutes and it's like dude where's my car and then and, and then and then, okay, well, what, what now? And then Bob Ross gets killed, and 20 fucking minutes of credits. I mean, I shit you not, th that's really long runtime for credits, and I know that they were trying to pad it to, to get it out and seen more with a better runtime, but fuck off, man. And in all senses, this is a B-film, and the very definition of what a B-film is, because a B-film was something you played after your feature, your A-film, your more popular film, and you just kind of slap this on, at the end and this is definitely a b film at the drive-in of that era where you would throw it on because you have a something called california axe massacre or axe playing and you can kind of bring the people in but you know what you've got is nothing that great and it's just there to kind of fill time and it doesn't even really like achieve that because it doesn't even fill that much time it's only 64 minutes long for christ's sakes and it leaves but, more questions to be asked than answered really yeah, I mean, what, I, I don't even know if it's asking questions, because at the beginning you have these dudes who are trying to get money out of this guy, and they kind of explore his apartment, and they find out that he's possibly gay, possibly um, um, flirting with being a cross-dresser or being trans in some way, and that's somewhat discussed, and not in very positive terms, mind you, but at least it's it's something. It's giving these characters some growth. It, it's making us hate these characters a little bit, but... Once we get about halfway through of them being on the run and they end up at this house, it just turns to this very quiet, soft film of dudes hanging out in a house eating sandwiches. Sandwiches like made nothing of nothing. Going on. There was nothing on any sandwiches. Whenever they get Lisa to make one, nothing on them. It was just bread that also deeply annoyed me, the satisfaction everyone had with these <laughs> nothing sandwiches all around. And, and it's funny, I don't hate this movie, and it's not... Like, it's a pleasant joyride. I would suggest, please sit down, watch Axe. Show all of your friends Axe. It's fantastic. 
but I don't know. There's just something so quaint about it that I can't help but thinking it has a little bit of redeemability. And for me, what really I think plays off is is like this faux last house on the left innocence that I can see the direction you had and I understand the menace and really just what gives the movie, I guess, to me, like a point of watching it and watchability is that gas station scene because it's just the most ridiculous thing really that happens in the movie and the characters are all just awful. Everyone's bad at what they do. The attendant is, I, I don't know, just just not there, just very vacant and everything is... She doesn't have a line of dialogue. I, I think she apologizes and says, uh, please take another fruit and then cries a lot and it it's just very, very bizarre and maybe that's the only pleasing thing about it is just this sense of dreamlike bizarrity and, and very much nonsense action that eventually leads to nowhere. The second half of the movie, if you can call it that, is, I don't know, flagrantly fucking boring. Nothing really happens, even with violence and death uh, that supposedly is so awful that it couldn't be shown in uh, the UK. And I mean, it it really lends itself to that 70s era of horror film. It, it It's kind of akin to something like Let's Scare Jessica to Death, which by no means does it compare to at all. But it does have the yeah, same feel not an awful movie um, of where it's so much about how it was filmed, and especially if you're into those sorts of uh, films. And it's no coincidence either. That this was originally released on DVD by Something Weird Video. So it, it kind of plays to that Herschel Gordon Lewis um, audience. Well, it's funny it you bring that up. The... Uh, it mm-hmm. just, this was a movie that was very, very uh, big and part of the very first VHS home market beta video boom. So initially when you could take a fucking movie home, Axe was one of those very first things out there that you could find that was explicit. And then when the DVD market became a boom and, and became, you know, uh, wow, I can get these weird esoteric things uh, at my home that just from the internet. Something Weird Video was one of the very first. So it's kind of resurfaced twice in its life, and I think it's namely because it is a video nasty, and otherwise it wouldn't have really any massive accessibility or collectors wouldn't want it. I wouldn't have bought it if it hadn't been a video nasty. I'll personally say that. But it's, I think it's unique how it's returned and surfaced twice with, you know, these big booms. I, I don't think it will on the digital market, but, you know, whatever, things it, have to die. Well, it, it's a title alone film. The title alone sells it. Its pedigree sells it. It's definitely it's like not snuff, the... like Snuff, the Findlay movie. You know, wow, yeah. I'm going to see this shit because it sounds axe, you know, cool. It's definitely not a film that will sell itself on what the containing elements of the actual film are. It's all about the pedigree of it and the story behind it. And... um. And let's get into the the more pedantic fucking information that we do in the video nasty show. Um, I looked for it, um, see what it's kind of currently selling for. The one you're looking for is the uh, VRO label, the original. That's the um, pre-certification version of it. And I saw it currently listed on eBay for like 1,450 euros. Whoa. And I don't do conversion very well um, um i but i know the euro is more than a dollar so i'm pretty sure it's upwards of close to two thousand dollars for the original vro video cassette of um pre-certificate acts so if you're into collecting these it is available out there and goddamn is an extravagant price for a movie that's not that good and honestly is incredibly short but again it's pedigree it's video nasty and it's called acts and more than anything, I think this might be one of those movies that got banned for title 
um, the poster artwork on the box, and as well as the um, idea of imitatable violence that the BBFC was very obsessed with at the time period. Any sort of like household implement that is used to kill somebody, they, that was a big no-no of like knives or weapons or um, axes. Oh, it's, oh, somebody's going to learn how to kill somebody with a hatchet because they watched this movie. I Don't ask me, but no, there are plenty of other movies implement. on the list for that specific reason. And that was big, uh, massively implemented by Peter Kruger, who sat down and, and watched all of these movies with Scotland Yard and decided that the simple, lame brain British countryside person was going to take an axe and kill someone because of this equally lame-brained movie. So in total, again, just reminding everyone out there, the entire idea that these movies were banned is an insult to the, the people of the UK in fucking general. I mean, this is what... Scotland Yard and uh, the greater political minds thought of everyone else that, you know, they can't witness this because they're just too fragile and idiotic to take it. Something like Axe, which, you know, as you said, it's pedigree and it does have just it's like the band Kiss. They cashed in on like a fucking great opportunity with a title and their name there. And no one will forget that name Axe. You'll see it. You'll want it. I mean, uh, and even the cover that I have, um. It has nothing to do with the movie. It's got a girl screaming in front of a haunted house and just acts in big, bold letters and uh, Harry Novak Productions, and that's about it. And it leads absolutely nothing for you to imagine to, to what's going on. And then you've got the more traditional cover that's just the fucking words, axe and a giant axe, at last, total terror, and it's all red and black, and you know that's something... Uh, promising. You really think you're going to buy into something. And again, this is a tricky bitch because the first 15 minutes make you think you're about to get into something absolutely outlandish and it's, gonna, uh, it's going to continue uphill. And then the little engine, it just couldn't. And it rolls all the way back down and stops. And I will say that the trailer for this film is actually pretty entertaining. I like the trailer a hell of a lot more like the, the movie. Just the, the, uh, the lines used of Pretty Lisa took an axe, gave her captors 40 wax. It, I mean, it, that exploitation grindhouse way of making a trailer, making a movie look interesting and sellable. And it did sell the movie that at the end of the day is not really particularly worth watching, <laughs> according to me anyway. It just it plays so much like a student film, um, even down to runtime that it's just like we've got to get this out. I mean, it was shot on short ends which basically means leftover film from other productions, just a little snippet. So that's also why the editing is a little quick because you had to like you, maybe this one reel of film you've got is only like 80 seconds of actual film or 20 seconds of film. So they just kept changing magazines over and over and over again. And you essentially can't take more than one shot doing something like that. But I think the movie's entire budget was like $25,000. Yeah, it has almost zero budget. So the fact that it came out was sold, and now a VHS copy of it is going on UK eBay for goddamn almost $2,000 should tell something about um, selling the sizzle and not the steak. Because this is all fucking sizzle and almost zero steak. This is like Ponderosa's steak, if anything. I don't entirely hate this movie, and I think it's sort of fun if you, you know, this is a good weed movie. You want to sit down with some friends and smoke a big fat fucking joint and just laugh at something kind of flat. This is a good way to get into it. Maybe, you know, this is a good way to introduce your friends into some more weird movies if you wanted to. If you wanted to actually follow along at home and 
play the video nasties for other people, you could kind of. This is one I could show my mother and say, well, this is what a video nasty is, dear. And then, oh, well, I think, can we watch the Cannibal Holocaust? And then I'll show her Cannibal Holocaust and destroy her life. Yeah, that's kind of my attitude of things. I, I don't start easy with something like Axe. I go straight for the throat with Cannibal Holocaust. And if you make it to the end of that, well, you've endured an awful time at my house. <laughs> and uh, just to do the little reading segment that I've been doing on these shows from the book, The Art of the Nasty by Nigel Wingrove and Mark Morris, um, the little blurb on Axe's Although deemed obscene on video, it was granted a theatrical BBFC X certificate after two minutes and 54 seconds of cuts in April of 1990 or 1982, where it was screened under the title The California Axe Massacre. It was finally passed uncut in the UK in December of 2005. So it was cut up until 2005 in the UK before they actually got to see it. I think mostly it was the straight razor stuff that was the like cut out of the film up until 2005. I mean, that's that's pretty much all the action is the reverse throat slitting. Yeah, and it's just there's just so much not anything happening. And for me personally, I mean, I'm a child of the 80s, so I'm going to prefer a more kind of lambastic 80s sort of thing going on in the film where it gets a little bit hyper-violent, gets a little bit high, like a little bit crazy. Like, I would prefer watching a film that I don't particularly like. I'm not a huge Cat in the Brain fan slash, you know, Nightmare Concert, Lucio Fulci's film, because I think it's kind of just trash. But I can still watch it because it's, like, ridiculously over-the-top trash. And with a 70s film like this, it just doesn't do it for me. It just, it's almost a chore to sit through for me, personally. I'm just, I'm not on that wavelength. Well, it's like something I don't want to talk about too soon because uh, we're going to have to talk about it when we get into the video nasties. But years ago, when you would mention anybody, you know, would mention Andy Milligan to me, I would cringe and hiss and, oh, God, you know, no way. I, mean, I can't sit through it. And You're some, a traitor with your Andy Milligan love. Uh, a for, traitor. I don't know what it is for some sick fucking reason. And I, I want to blame you for it because I, I, you had been complaining about something and I, I sat down and, and I don't know how it started. I just want to blame you for it, I think is the bottom line with that. But I ended up, I, I don't know, I, I like Andy Milligan. I, don't, I just don't know how to say it. I like Andy <laughs> Milligan movies, and they're so fucking bad, though. Like, I can't sit down with a straight face and say, I like Andy Milligan movies, and I'm going to talk about them, which is ridiculous because, like, I've heard fucking Fred Olin Ray and Dave Dakota and, and numerous other guys just sit down for two hours and talk about Andy Milligan with, with just, I don't know, n never ever saying he made flagrant steaming piles of shit um, to almost throw in your face. Like, intentionally, that's what he did. And I don't know. There's something about it I love. He's just like an anti-hero. You know, I, I I want the new Joker to be I can get be off Andy on Milligan. Andy Milligan films from behind-the-scenes perspective. The story behind them is incredibly interesting. Um, even aspects of the film, just how kind of weird they get. If you've ever seen Andy Milligan's Blood, you know what I'm talking about. Just of all yeah, I'm talking like seeds, places. vapors, like early Andy Milligan is some weird gay stuff. It's just very like uh, vapors is just this odd homosexual fiendish bathhouse uh, pulp novel. Like I don't want to say pornographic, but he's just like leaning on to just everything that would make you go, what? And early, and then you see his later work and him transforming and molding all the stuff into one thing. And it's like, 
I don't know. He just reminds me of somebody that should have been hanging out with Warhol. And if he had been, everyone would have been talking about Andy Milligan as if he was some uh, amazing artist instead of he made fucking shit sandwiches and forced them down your throat. And I just find that hysterical. And I there's something I deeply appreciate about that with him. I can respect the fact of trying your hardest and making this everlasting piece of artwork. But on a with a critical eye, I have to like Andy Milligan was not good at making the films. No, not he at just all. Wasn't. He was abhorrent. Like, just things didn't like just basic things like setting up lights weren't done correctly. Ed Wood and... gets a lot of shit, but I don't know why Andy Milligan is often left out of of all, when people are discussing the worst filmmakers of all time. But maybe because there was a little bit of bizarre, uh, you know, Doctor Frankenstein style genius behind Andy Milligan. I, I don't know. We're we'll I, we can't get too deep into him because eventually on this this long running video nasty segment we'll be what, what is it blood rights? It's coming up soon. Yeah, that would be the show after next. Yeah, the ghastly ones. It's also called a much much better title. But now we're moving on to something that I mean because I don't know about you, but I don't have much more. This was your roadblock. This is why this episode took forever to come out because you just kept complaining about having to watch this. And now it's probably what I like the most. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh it's it's a terrible film, Hank. Oh, but, I, it's uh, got a great title. Uh, this is one of those things that pairs very well with Axe, as we had said. Just what a great title for an exploitation film and yet alone a video nasty. This next one, I mean you can go ahead and I mean I can drum roll, you know. Do, 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 do. And we're gonna talk about the Beast in Heat, which is a Nazi exploitation film from the era from uh, nineteen seventy seven. Uh, although a good chunk of it was shot in, I think, 1969 or 1971, because basically what the director of this film did um, was a Luigi Berezzoli, something like that. My Italian is, frankly, dog shit. But um, he made a movie called When the Bell Tolls, which was a World War II, the townsfolk are fighting Bat-Zella. back. Against... Uh, the... uh, Oh uh, yeah, I thought it was Luigi Batzella, and then he. Batzella, okay. He has another name. It was Ivan Kathansky, Ivan Kathansky, something like that for I the think Beast that's in Heat. Pseudonym. Yeah, that's the pseudonym, and then I don't know if Luigi Batzella is his real name because I believe his previous film and what you were you're about to reference and get into uh, was directed under a different name. I think he directed half of his career, which was, you know, um, just uh, produced action World War Two movies, things like that, and then moved into exploitation under uh, Luigi Batzella. I don't know. I'm I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Well, even the the film itself has several different titles because it's not only the Beast and He, it's also maybe known as IMDb. horrifying experiments of the SS last days, which is grammatically a nightmare. Um, but it's also known as um, SS Hell Camp, which is when I originally saw it was under the uh, SS Hell Camp when it came on or when. It, on video in like 1990 he did have another name um, he went by um paolo salve so his previous film career prior to exploitation was as paolo salve so this movie when the bell tolls typical war to nazi invaders movie about a townspeople fighting back against the nazis and it didn't do very well so he decided to retool it do some research reshoots and make a Nazi exploitation film after uh, films like Elsa came out to repackage the film. I think um, that truly is the sentiment behind something like Beast in Heat is it really is capitalizing on the the Ilsa series or I don't oh, know. Oh, very much. I don't know if there was two of them at this point or just one Ilsa movie. There, I mean, there was a big difference between Nazi exploitation, Nazi sexploitation, whatever you want to call it. 
you know, there was a whole art round of these movies that transfigured into to what was completely sellable, and what's more sellable than anything is sex. So what this is the basis of, I mean, this movie is just, like, the bottom of barrel for filth, and, like... I don't know, there's a lot of similarities between this and the Ilsa movies, but I think it's just the direction that there's absolutely no redeemability in this movie at all. There is nothing that they attempted to make humorous about this movie at all. It is just like, god damn. But at the same time, with it it's being kinda funny. quite fucking funny. Um, <laughs> Unintentionally, but basically, when, though, after like Ilsa came there's, out... There's no direction um, of humor. Sorry. After Elsa came out, there were several different um, Nazi exploitation, sexploitation films of this era. But um, I, there was also Salon Kitty. There was also The Night Porter of mixing kind of sexual um, themes or I mean, even Cabaret like, to a fucking extent, if you really want to include it. I mean, there are Nazis, but something that is uh, very artistic, uh, but yet very, very sexual. So I, I, I don't... I know that's an argument to be had for another day, but I don't necessarily think Cabaret isn't an exploitation film. It's a musical. It can't be by definition. <laughs> oh, what about Phantom of the Paradise? Uh, that's not really an exploitation film either. What about Rocky Horror? Uh, I wouldn't really call that an exploitation film. We're, we're what about the sound of music? Hank? Nazis. You're exploiting Nazis and they're singing. Nazis don't sing. They kill the Jews. Exploitation. The sound of music's exploitation. Um, yeah, so the beast in he, what were you saying? Logically, you were being, you were saying something intelligent. I, I don't know if I've ever said anything intelligent on this show, but at this time period, they started making, like, because basically he made this war film that no one really cared about or saw, and he decided to sex it up a little bit and sell it on the secondary market as one of these kind of trashy Nazi films that were I've got a great idea. Popular. Let's cut off some dicks and, uh, I don't know, get a horny guy and, and resell the movie. And Genius. basically, that's what he did because I mean, he uses actors from that original film in this movie that just show up to kind of connect some of the tissue of it because it's basically about a Nazi commandant female who's running an experiment, uh, how like a, in a castle, a bunch of experiment Nazi experiments, which in these films equal to just torture, um, people getting their fingernails pulled out, people being eaten eaten alive by guinea pigs. The, That's something. The beast, the whole experiment I, I'm taking is supposed to be what the Nazis are creating as, like, their super soldiers, so, like, the perfect Aryan. But they got, like, pretty much somebody that would have been perfect to play a live-action ver version of Mario the Plumber from the video game who's just hanging dong the entire fucking time. And I, that's – is that, like, the super weapon? That's the, the great Aryan thing? I mean, I'm not even sure what they were doing. They just gave him a bunch of aphrodisiacs. And he's I didn't just know if this that was crazy sex monster. You know, like, he, this is the Aryan. This is the perfect Nazi race, you know. Uh, and, I mean, that's unintentionally hysterical. And I don't, that's, again, I don't know if it was supposed to be funny. But it it's not funny that he's raping people. I'm not laughing at the rapes. It's just a big hairy guy flapping fucking dick. And just doing weird ape faces into the camera. Uh, the actor's cues. name was... Um, was it Salvador Barocco or something along those lines? But he had acromegalin, so he had a, definitely he had a disformity of his face, like Rondo Hatton. Um, and they basically have him naked in a cage. And every so often, when the film is getting boring, we just throw another naked woman there and for him to just sit there and hump and make monkey noises over. Which is, I mean, it's a thing. It does get incredibly. Uh, distasteful at times when he Very gets gratuitous. a big mouthful of labian uh, pubic hair that he proceeds to eat. Um, 
there's also just, I mean, you have the, the, the typical Nazi experiment footage stuff, not even done to a convincing degree in this film. Uh, it's all a lot of fake blood thrown around. And, and most of this action of the Nazi exploitation elements takes place in like one room, a white room with some people in it. And we threw up a, a Nazi flag because there you go, Nazis, right? And we, we rented some uniforms. But when it gets into for everyone uh, is an the, SS uh, officer, absolutely every uniform is SS. There's not a lot of difference between, I guess, rank or what's going on. A lot of the detail was stripped, and that makes this, I guess, what you could call because it's nonsense. It's just nonsense thrown in there to have not like we're doing experiments. Uh, who cares what the validity of any of this is? I mean, that's where the movie can, I guess, become somewhat problematic because even something like Ilsa, you could argue, has a bit of redeemability by maybe showing that the Nazis are bad. But this isn't really like the Nazis. You know, it's not like the Third Reich. It's this cartoon character of a a very evil, sexualized villain. So it's not even like you're drawing attention to the atrocities that happened during World War II and the Holocaust, it, it almost is delving in upon itself as its own universe of just filth. And it, it's a very odd animal to deal with because you're dealing with, you know, World War II and the Nazis and the Holocaust. It's a very, very fucking touchy subject. But like fucking Hogan's Heroes, you're being delivered uh, such a weird product. It's like, what? I don't know how to take it. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know if I hate it or I love it or... You know, I think you've done something really catchy. It, it's just very hard to stomach the entire thing. Well, for me, it's like with Elsa, a lot of the more um, problematic scenes in her actually can be somewhat disturbing at times. But all of the experiment style footage in this movie is just so poorly directed and it's very laughable. All the acting is bad. Um, it doesn't nothing's very convincing about it. It's a bunch of people writhing around and just kind of screaming and fake blood thrown on them and stuff. So it's, I wouldn't even call it that objectionable on that level. I think Elsa would be a lot more objectionable than that, but probably the most objectionable thing in the film is when we get to when the bell tolls footage, cause it is just boring ass war movie about a town trying to blow up a bridge. So the Nazis don't, infiltrate but it eats up so much of the time you end up getting stuck you know following what's going on there and then even even in the end the delivery of what happens when the two worlds collide it's just like this very sharp right turn back into extreme exploitation and the whole thoughtfulness of trying to remind you that a war is going on and people are struggling it's like eh, they're dead now fuck it well i mean like but i think a lot of that has to do with just how he compacted these two films together yeah because that new tacked on footage is just a completely different animal to the story that's going on. So there's a, a definite weird dichotomy going on between the two films because they do seem separate, even though you have a lot of the, uh, some of the characters crossing over into the new footage from the old footage. It just, it, none of it really melds together and makes like a cohesive story because all of the actual townspeople footage, I mean, it's a competently made war film which in itself does have some very kind of objectionable footage in it. Like the, the big scene that um, people pull out of this movie that's upsetting to most people is when a uh, Nazi soldier throws a uh, baby in the air and guns it down and they like stomp on it and shit. It's not even violent. It's just like a bundle of rags wrapped and in a there's towel. There's a brief cut where they showed uh, an actual child in the woman's arms and then they cut away to what's clearly a doll. So, I mean, again, it's the implication of what you're seeing, but again, yeah. it's kind of just, you know, hazard in the workplace to shoot something like that. But again, most of this was intentional. These guys were guns 
and there was a big difference. I mean, still, like, you had Italian art directors making Nazi movies, and then you had guns making Nazi movies. So these guys aren't going to go out there and go, I'm going to make something that's going to speak to the world. It's, uh, let's make something super fucking objectionable because it's going to sell. It's, we're going to get it out there. And they were paid for it, so it wasn't like something personal. These guys weren't coming up with a masterpiece intentionally, if you want to call something like Beast and Heat a masterpiece, which I'm definitely not. But uh, it, it was a fucking day job. It was work. It was it was like, you know, 30 days work. For me, I wish they would almost have gone more objectionable at, at times because it's with that contrast in footage, all of the, the I wanted the bus to do something. It's just more. boring as hell to me. And I would like a lot more of the I mean, albeit a terrible piece of subject matter in history with like Nazi experimentation on prisoners and stuff, but it's just so goddamn ridiculous at times. I mean the the uh the beast and heat character in himself is fucking funny. Like I know Rape is nothing to joke about in any way, shape, or form, but, like, I don't even know if you can consider what's happening in the film this, like, hardcore rape scene as it's just, like, him just kind of wrestling a woman to the ground while making monkey noises. I mean, it's 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 all a big implication, but the way it's handled and the way it's presented to you is, uh, if anything, ridiculously silly. So no matter how insensitive... It, it sounds there's just no nice way about saying it unless you go watch the beast and he and then maybe you know try and see no one's trying i don't to... know how you could take any of it seriously i guess yeah, is my point. It, it's definitely not like we're trying to make light of anything but again it's not like day the woman i spit on your grave it's not you know nope. this 13 minute in your face thing there's it's just vulgar and it, it mostly could be just best described as just absolutely vulgar and there is a big and difference Annette yeah. has a lot to do with what makes it kind of, I wouldn't say the word acceptable, but just like, not even watchable, but just kind of like, just seeing someone this inept make this product and it just falling apart in front of your eyes. There's a certain sort of entertainment in that for me personally of just like, wow, when you're trying to have like live rats eat a woman's insides out and the only thing you could afford was spray painting guinea pigs black. That's fucking funny. I, I know and what they're just the, the most right tame, now. happy guinea pigs. They're just sitting there chilling. There's no harm to them. You know, they're just chilling. They're fat and happy. They're just kind of roll like hanging out on top of a bloody naked woman. It's just so goofball. But I mean, like as you were bringing up something like um, I spit on your grave, like that is all very uh, like objectionable, hard to watch, intense. Same thing with the Last House on the Left, even the House on the Edge of the Park. Like a lot of those movies just there's a lot of very uncomfortable scenes of sexual violence and the sexual violence in this film is just so like moronically done that it's just like, wow, this is just goofball nonsense. Even to point a scene out of sexual violence, uh, something that it shouldn't be funny, but I think is unintentionally hysterical. You've got the scene where the Ilsa knockoff is trying to get all the guys hard and whoever gets a boner first, she's going to cut their dick off and, She's getting ready to go down on one guy and the other SS officers watching her very disapprovingly. And some fucking douche canoe just yells out, you know, me to do me. And she just walks over and like gives him a quick hand job and jerks his fucking dick off with a knife. And that's the end of it. It shouldn't be funny. You know, even transitioning to something like I, uh, I spit on your grave. What a horrific scene when she cuts the guy's dick off in the bath. Like that's just absolutely a horrendous, uh, shocking moment in that film. 
this shouldn't be hysterical, but you can't really help but laugh. And I mean, it's it's not equivocable to something like a rape sequence and laughing at that, but still, everything that uh, should be disapproved or frowned upon somehow ends up being funny, including chucking that baby in the air and shooting it. It it was kind of funny. I laughed. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we may sound like sick fucks, but it's just a lot of it just has to do with intent. And even though the director's intent was to like make something kind of skit. objectionable and ridiculous, like, it just ends up coming off just so fucking stupid. And it just is kind of fun for for that specifically. And did you notice, like in every other Nazi exploitation film, you always have to have a woman with lots of cleavage and a Nazi commandant uniform, because apparently that's some sort of fetish for people. And it's they always have to be lesbians. I don't know why. There's always lesbian soldiers, female Nazis. You got to look at the transition to... of the of the two quality of films here, because you had women in prison films that were slowly gaining in popularity throughout the mid to late seventies, and then. Nazi exploitation sex films began waning in popularity around that time, so they were combining, I think, those two, you know, hardcore things. Well, the, 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 those things, are like, those two things go hand in hand. Women in prison movies and Nazi exploitation movies are almost the exact same thing, and a lot of times they do just completely cross over, and they are just women in prison movies. And if you just put a uniform on somebody, boom, it just changes the intent of the thing. And a lot of what's objectionable about Nazi exploitation at all is the fact that you're talking about a very horrific part of world history that a lot of people still have incredibly terrible memories of. So it just any type of product that isn't, say, specifically well, Schindler's mean, List, it all seems like you're mocking the situation. Let's just bring up, too, like Ilsa, She Wolf of the SS. Wasn't that produced by, um, God, uh, David Friedman? Dave uh, Dave Friedman, I think H.G. He was L one of the producers yeah, on it. Roger Corman, H.G. Lewis guy, uh, uh, old school schlock producer uh, i mean and I'm, not, I'm not trying to throw you know anything out there but he was a jewish man that was out there producing you know these exploitation films so i think to some extent and again uh, not something like beast and heat but there certainly are nazi exploitation and nazi exploitation films that i think are really um i i, I hate to goddamn reference it but because it's not necessarily nazi but something like salo and I don't want to get into Pasolini at all, but something like Salo has uh, an objective message against the now, and not even the now then, but even more so now the now now. And despite uh, it being told through this awful story by the Marquis de Sade, there is uh, it, it is a bit of a swan song. There is some redeemability and triumph to something like Salo, and God, is it just, it's rough. You know, I don't know how to, to say it or dress it up any other way. I mean, you could go... You know, I've seen it. It's got shit eating or whatever, but it's just the way the story is told to you. I think is is just a harmful vibe, man. I mean, it's it's just a real fucking big bummer, and that's the the facts about something like that. But it's um, it it has some, I don't know. It has some salvation to it. It has a a, a point to its existence as to where the beast in heat isn't really making light of a situation, nor is it making fun of a situation, but it completely in its name and and what it is is just exploiting not just you know the holocaust or world war ii and it's not doing it in a harmful manner but it's just exploiting and manipulating what was successful sex and like even the nazi art films all the major nazi art films uh that were coming out of italy mostly involved and were sexual in nature and a lot of that was kind of a, a liberal i think agenda. a lot of that is taboo uh, be, uh, mostly is because it's taboo is what the fascination with it was of this 
ultimate dominatrix style character of this Nazi who's supposed to be the worst person in the world, but I still want to fuck her. It's just kind of a weird fetish that people apparently used to have, and they still do have, because it's still in the the BDSM sort of um, marketplace. They still flirt with Nazism a lot in, in that. Not the actual concepts of Nazism, but more the imagery of Nazism. I think, too, a big aspect is, and I mean, I use the word liberal, but not in the essence of American politics, but at the time period, a more liberal ideology was being placed toward the Nazis, which were very obviously right-wing and uh, awful, awful people. So a lot more effeminate roles, a lot more sexualized roles were placed upon them to show them as these fiendish, sex, awful, crazed, rapist, nasty people to apply all these things that they were very much against. So it was kind of... Uh, artistically turning the table, and most of these directors were either guns or, when you come to the art crowd, were, were very outspoken, left-wing kind of um, you know political people. Pasolini was a very political guy, and they were making statements uh, by using this, this very intense sexuality, but a lot of that crept over into things like Beast and Heat because that's what sold. The movie got massive release because it had and got really infamous because of these awful acts that were shown inside of it or these awful sexual acts and torture that were shown inside of it. So when you know you turn around the corner and you make Beast in Heat and you cut a bunch of shit from another movie, all you replace it with and add in is a bunch of awful acts. You miss out on you know, maybe showing something objective about war or uh, politics. And there's just like three different sides to all of like this Nazi exploitation stuff because there's a political side, there's an art side, and then there is the you know pure sleaze exploitation side side, and that's where Beast and Heat falls into. It's just pure 100% sleaze exploitation, no deeper meaning, no politics, nothing you know super special. It's just you know Beast and Heat. And this is out of most of the Nazi exploitations are and one of the least objectionable ones just due to its inept nature. Because like when you get to stuff we'll we'll get to a little bit later, like Gestapo's Last Orgy, like that's a pretty fucking hardcore movie. I accidentally um, watched a whole Nazi exploitation documentary trying to learn a little bit about Beast and Heat. So I, I just have all this Nazi exploitation knowledge, I guess. I mean, this is if you're into exploitation film, you're going to have to at least have a base understanding of this little mini subgenre because of how many kind of taboo movies that were released in the 70s and early 80s in this in this nature. Um, just because it's just a it's it's a part of it. It's the same thing as like redneck exploitation. It's just a part of that like grindhouse love that you have. So you have to investigate a little bit of all of it. And some of them are okay. And some of them are just trash. Some of them are hard to sit through. Some of them are kind of funny at times. Um, but it, it all has to do with really exploitation and what like better, according to <laughs> people who are trying to make money way of doing it than to exploit the worst um, things that humanity has to offer. Well, we can make a movie about that because it, it, even if people get pissed off, they're going to talk about it. And that's how exploitation filmmakers really thought in the day is just like, even if people protest, we've made money. So they didn't particularly care if they were like kind of really getting under someone's skin because it didn't matter. It was all about just making money and making something controversial. And Beast in Heat is kind of a... It's probably one of the most famous of the Nazi exploitation films. I think this is the one that this and Elsa are the two that people have seen more than any of them. Because when you get into the depths of this particular subgenre, does it just get 
kind of fucking dark and something you don't really want to flirt with that much anymore. I think as an exploitation fan, you have to ask yourself, you know, what is exploitation and, and why you have an interest in this? And, you know, maybe not answer that out loud because some people's answers could be alarming. But in the most part, I think it's uh, to, to drive your senses, you know, truly insane to see absolutely everything. And, you know, there for me and I know for you as like a film historian standpoint, I just want to see as much as I possibly can see. And sometimes it, uh, it takes you into foraying and Nazi exploitation. But for the most part, when you're in love with horror, you, you spend all of your time looking for something you absolutely love because you've seen something similar once or twice and you just can't find it again. So you end up going through everything and you have to be sure. I don't know. I don't know if this is going to fit that weird niche thing I saw one time that I just absolutely love. And you just envelope yourself and in, in, in everything up to the atmosphere that you can. And Beast and Heat is just one of those things that you end up seeing. And when you've seen it, You'll you'll reference it. You'll bring it up. You'll want to show people it just because of the ridiculous shit you've seen. Unlike Axe, you know that's something I would suggest. Yeah, I guess you could sit around and smoke some pot with some pals and watch. But Beast and Heat is just like, I I want to show somebody this, but I don't know what type of person I want to show. I don't want to ruin their day, and I know I'm gonna, but I just want somebody else to watch this and and just see it. And I think that's how a movie like this travels. It, it's neither good nor bad. It's just one of those many things. Again, something like Salo that exists and you hear of. You know, I remember even in high school getting phone calls from people. What's that movie where they eat shit? Salo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Click. It, it's always been around from generation, well, not always, but I mean, from uh, people that are listening to this and interested in this from your teenage years to now, things like Salo and Beast and Heat have just always been like boogeyman names in the dark of just ridiculous, awful movies that are out there and you'll eventually see if you look for them. And now it's not hard. Just fucking Google it and Severin. There you go. So the VHS, PAL version of VHS, that is a version of this you're looking for, is the JVI. That is the video distri distribution company that put it out. And um, I the last one I sold that sold, sold for like 180 pounds. But that seller, I don't think knew what he had because this is one of the most chased after of the um actual vhs's that people are looking for to complete their video nasties collection Shit, why didn't you buy that you could have fucking put that up for ebay and made mad money i mean that would have oh, sold like three years ago this oh. wasn't like a couple weeks ago um, that's how long we've been waiting to do this episode three years <laughs> but um like I've seen this go up for upwards of two thousand um, dollars. Mamma mia! On the, on, on the trade market and uh, from the book *The Art of the Nasty*, *The Beast in Heat*, the actual typographically typographically challenged on-screen title is *Horrifying Experiments of SS Last Days*, and it's a miracle that the incredibly sleazy Ilsa-inspired obscurity ever found its way onto the band list as it was perhaps the single most hard to find of all the band films it was never advertised and received a very limited release from rochdale 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 or rochdale based distri dist uh, distributor collectors beware of bootlegs um, and this film has yet to be released in an uncut form in the uk to this day it's not available on blu-ray or anything you you have to bootleg it or get it from another country, another um, region to actually have it. Cause it's still technically banned. And it, it's probably not banned for,
for any other reason than whoever owns the distribution rights of this film just has not tried to resubmit it for a certificate to put it out in the UK because no one gives a shit. Or it still could be banned because it's a Nazi exploitation film and uh, they still do have... Um, they've lightened up a lot since the 80s, but the UK does have uh, a fair amount of censorship rules going through the government. They still do cut movies. Although Hostel passed uncut, I believe, and a bunch of other... Like, it's very limited now to what they're cutting but they still do have some cuts especially rape scenes especially uh it's kind of the, a lot of the same things that are looking for in the past but most of them now go through the um, actual ratings board before there's ever a video release so they get rated there or banned before they can even come out in the country because i think human centipede had like 10 or human centipede 2 had like 10 minutes cut out of it when it got released in the uk and i think it's still cut out in the uk I just think of something somewhat notable for Beast and Heat. It's one of the very few World War II movies I can think of that visibly shows Allied bombings, and that's uh, how the movie ends. And we didn't really get into the end of the movie. Probably the most shocking and dismal part. Pretty much everybody dies. I also wanted to ask you, did you think the priest looks more like Paul Newman or Richard Harris? I didn't get that vibe off of... I wouldn't say either of those. Maybe like... um, Wow, I was going with uh, like a young Richard Harris look. Maybe like Ryan O'Neal. Yeah, I can see that. I can definitely see that. But pretty much everybody dies in an allied bombing, and it's very pronounced, you know, because that's sort of a... It's not a fault. I mean, uh, us, the the UK, you know, they they had to do bombings in Italy. The fascists had taken over, but a lot of soldiers, a lot of Italians also died. A lot of... um, you know, British soldiers and whatnot, combining. So it's a kind of a rough subject that isn't openly, I guess, um, in Europe brought into film and cinema is, you know, referencing like, yeah, our friends did kill a shit ton of us by accident. So that, I guess, is a unique, um, explicit addition to the movie that might be a somewhat historic, redeemable value. I'm just trying to think of something that makes Beast in Heat somewhat redeemable. Redeemable? On, yeah, it, it you can't know. be redeemed. It's Nazi exploitation. So by definition, it is basically just crap. Yeah. It's know, just so a crap film. That was me <laughs> polishing a turd with just a little bit of, okay, I thought of something, but that that's a loose end. We tried. And we made it, I mean, we, we made it through Beast and Heat. And I have to say, it's really not that bad, but it, it is. It really is bad. It's, it's not like human centipede, I mean, centipede, there's definitely though. trigger warnings in it for people who have to deal with these things, but for where things could go and how hardcore and kind of joke. dangerous feelings things could go, this movie is pretty fucking ridiculous and tepid with its treatment of a lot of these hard-to-face sub- pieces of subject matter. Because it's just, it's so inept. It's just so inept of a film. Uh, like, even the uh, the When the Bell Tolls footage doesn't even really match up too well no, to the new Nazi exploitation footage. You can tell, like, where it's, like, cutting... And it's a different, like, a set of lighting. And it's just, I mean, everything in the uh, Nazi exploitation kind of segments of it are blasted with really bright white light. And then the rest of it is kind of outdoors, day for night. And just kind of, I mean, it's a, When the Bell Tolls is a better shot movie, definitely. But I could not see myself getting through in, in a hole and without it having the Beast and Heat footage cut into it. Because it is just a really bland war drama that I don't care about. I'm not into war movies per, uh, personally. So many people cringe, and uh, you know, I was trying to make a joke with it, it's no human centipede. They, they absolutely hate it and can't sit through something like that, which 
eh, it's gross, whatever. The second one's gross. The third one's probably the weirdest out of all of them. But uh, trying to compare it, like, I've seen fucking Salo. You've seen fucking Salo. It's such a weird thing looking at what exploitation was then and something like Beast and Heat and seeing it. And, I, I mean, I was attempting to make a joke on something I uh, had, had read that this movie is often compared to The Human Centipede, which I, I think is, is somewhat daft and just a very inappropriate uh, combination of these two things because I understand what The Human Centipede is, is attempting to do, and I, I think to an extent it did it. And it's not like I'm applauding the movie and I'm not going to try and review it here right now, but... I'm not completely against Tom Six and his ideas uh, at all. I'm I'm really not against them, but I don't think it's comparable to something like Beast and Heat, nor do I think it's comparable to something like Salo. And I think all of them are different animals, different styles of film. I hate to use the term art for something like Salo because it is explicit, and I think it truly has a, a placement in exploitation, but it's certainly not a horror film. I don't think it's a horror um, film. Well, Salo is just upsetting on many, many different levels. But when you do something, when you talk about something like Human Centipede, especially with Human Centipede 2, in my opinion, like that's just a slapstick comedy. Like Human yeah. Centipede uh -huh. 2 is exactly. in no way fucking reality. It, it, thank it's you. Just this, uh, you're, it's, you're just it's finishing just my so rant goofy. because it sounds better. I mean, but it, that absolutely is, is my driving point is you try to compare these things and it's like, the first movie, or okay, let's even, the second movie, the first movie's a, a, a fictional universe, so inside of itself, it's even a parody of itself, and if anything, you could have some comparability to something like Salo, because the bigger picture is you're being shit on. It's not shit eating, you're being shit on, in a deeper, larger uh, pathos of the, the fucking well, idea, did, but like, I don't want to Salo deals with, it. like, power structure, fascism, um deviant sexual nature and a lot of like very hardcore pieces of subject matter and like human centipede 2 has like a diarrhea chain shitting in other people's mouths it's like how are you taking any of this seriously it's fucking stupid it's not a matter of taking it shit. serious but it's even something as stupid as like applying like salo to like like fast food you know it's it's you're eating shit your 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 life is garbage you eat a chain of shit your human life is shit you still feed into the giant facet fascist insect that feeds upon us all and it's got a deeper meaning than the explicit art that is shown uh, on screen something like the human centipede i think kind of mimics it maybe in a in, in a imaginary kind of placement but it, it it's certainly much more slapstick than anything else and you know, like, not trying to pull a dead person into this, but I think something like The Human Centipede, especially Volume 2, would be something that Chaz Ballin would just kind of scoff at. And I'm not trying to undermine it, because I do like Tom Six. I, I really think he's got uh, a very odd and unique message to things. And again, to fucking reference Warhol, I think if Tom Six was around in the times of Andy Warhol, these cats would have gotten together, you know? Just like if Andy Milligan was... Well, I mean, he was, but they never, I guess, crossed paths. I seriously doubt they did. Yeah, I, I but see Beast them. and Heat, um, as far as Nazi exploitation goes, we're getting into worse. Oh this yeah, the least of your and, worries and guess what? as far as that we're genre not getting goes. Into Salo. We will not get to Salo. Yeah, it's not a video nasty. I was shocked by that. That was we were discussing this before the show. I'm and pretty I, uh... sure it was just banned outright before it even like was allowed to go to theaters. One day maybe we'll do a, a whole Salo show, but that's something certainly that we have to separate the art uh, from the artist with. And progressively, that's going to have to happen more and more <laughs> we're finding out these days.
Oh, yeah. So I guess that's about it. Holy shit, we made it to the end of Video Nasties Part 2. The next time around we do this, I think it'll be a little bit easier on us. We've got a very, very classic favorite. Uh, I, I, I mean, I don't know if it's a favorite of yours and mine, but it's definitely a favorite of horror aficionados. I have a lot of passion I mean, it's a classic. It. It's, I mean, it's the most classic giallo you're going to have. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's quintessential to uh, absolutely the American slasher movie. I don't think American slashers would have ever been as relevant if it wasn't for this movie. I think it's the granddaddy of them all. It's a great movie. And I'm not a massive fan of the director of this movie, and I think it's probably my favorite. You know, I'm just not very well-versed is why I'm not a massive fan. I know his sons work a lot better. Well, his son did not do much good work. <laughs> he didn't do much good work, but it hits uh, much more closer to my heart, I guess, because I like Italian trash and I love Mikel Suave and they worked a lot together. And we will also have her first appearance. And no, that's our only appearance on this list anyway, of the Godfather of Gore. That's coming up next week. Really? That's coming up next week. Lucio Fulci? No, Godfather of Gore, not the Italian Godfather of Gore. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, HG. I got you. HG Lewis. Yeah. Well, at least, I don't know. I guess that says something about my placement of, of horror. Uh, that I, When you say the Godfather of Gore, I think Italian. I think of Lucio Fulci. That was my big thought. But HG Lewis no, is the correct answer. We're not so lucky. We've got to get into 1960s. Now, if we were doing really the completest, bullshit, the, the entire video nasties, all of them, we would be getting right around time to do the beyond. And unfortunately, because a couple of people have asked, yeah, do the beyond next. It, it's not core video. That's nasties. section two, people. Yeah. That We were going by section. We're not going by just alphabetical. Alphabetical within a section. That is section two. Well, you know what that means, though? We could just do an episode about the beyond. Eventually, yes, because we have to do a video nasties episode about it. Well, that's after we do the first seventy fucking two. I, I'm gonna be like no, the first thirty something. It'll be like gonna be 40, like fifty eight, forty two or something. People have asked if the lighter flicks in the background is pot smoking or cigarettes, and you think this is gonna last another thirty eight episodes? That, that's cigarettes. That's me alone. There's no lighters going off on your end. Thirty eight more episodes for video nasties alone. It's gonna be Hank nine. Oh or 10. well, I mean we're doing two at a time, so it's not gonna take that long. But that's like fifteen twenty episodes to get through the first section one list. Well, you heard it here first. Death by DVD is now casting and hiring Hank eight. Send your emails to deathbydvdofficial at gmail.com if you're willing to try out to be Hank 8. But I guess that's the end of it. Are we, are we at the end of Video Nasties 2? That would be the end of Video Nasties 2. Sorry, folks, but we're going alphabetical, and these two are antithetical to each other, and also they're not very interesting films. I mean, we're coming up with some good ones, though. I mean, well, next week's uh, good. Burning's I mean, I'm looking coming forward to up. that. I mean, we've, we've uh, not had a good H.G. Lewis talk uh, since the beginning of the show 10 years ago. So, I mean, we're going to get into core horror history with something like H.G. Lewis, and then we're going to get into core European-Italian horror history and some of the finest giallo talk you'll hear this side of the Mississippi, I feel. I mean, we're going to really have some fun with that. And then immediately, we're going to go into Andy Milligan. You're going to finally get to hear me talk about Andy fucking Milligan. So get excited. Got to get excited. Fucking Christ. It's going to be an exciting day. You're just going to have so many Andy Milligan facts. I'm going to go, I don't care, Hank. I, I just don't care. 
the ashtray's full, the bottle's empty. Good night. Have a pleasant tomorrow. Uh, catch, catch the horror taxi. Oh, there it goes. It's got. Fuck, we missed the horror taxi. We're going to have to call a horror Uber. DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced.